0: Hey guys, welcome to Unshakable. We're going to dive right in. Today we're talking theology. But before I jump in, let me just say that I'm working on a couple of things right now, just some really big cultural issues which are coming right now. Number one is transgenderism and why that is happening, why it's become so prevalent in our culture. And then what I think is the biggest issue you and I are going to be facing in the coming weeks, months, years, and that is the growth of artificial intelligence. So uh, watch for that. But today we want to do theology. Now this topic comes out of something that happened um, back on Good Friday and Easter. Um, In our Good Friday service, we were walking through John chapter 19, which was great, but I mentioned that Matthew and Mark quote Jesus on the cross when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I said in that service that I didn't think that the father did, in fact, forsake his son. I gave a couple reasons, but I went over it pretty quickly because I didn't have a lot of time that night. Um, And then it came up at the Men of Steel community group, which is fantastic. I love the fact that you guys are talking about difficult things in C groups. And the question was asked, well, wait, hold on a second. We sing this beautiful song where it says, the father turned his face away. the Son. So what's right? What's wrong? Do we have the right theology? Is the song correct? Let me just give you the background on this. This comes from a beautiful song that we love to sing at Oak Hill. It's called, How Deep the Fathers Love. And I know it sounds like like, sort of like an older song, but it's actually a newer hymn. Uh, Grant will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was written sometime in the 1990s, early 90s, something like that. But listen to the lyrics. It says, How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. Love that. That he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Beautiful, beautiful lyric. Here's where it gets interesting, though. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Okay, so the theory, and, and I've been taught this before, Um, and a lot of us probably have. The theory goes like this. As Jesus hung on the cross, bearing the sin of the world, the Father had to turn his face away from the Son because he couldn't look upon his Son, who was becoming sin for us in that moment. Um, So there had to be a separation, the theory goes, between the Father and the Son in that moment. And so that's why Jesus cried out. He felt that separation. You know, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, the word forsake is a serious word. It means to renounce or abandon something. To renounce, in this case, renounce or abandon someone. So the theory goes the Father had no choice but to renounce the Son or abandon the Son while he was on the cross in those three hours bearing the sins of the world. Now, here's a a handful of reasons why I don't think that's correct and why we should tweak our thinking on this. Number one, remember the cross was the Father's plan to begin with. Okay, Isaiah 53.10 says very clearly, Yahweh was pleased to crush Him. So the idea that it was the Father's plan, that He would bring that about sovereignly and then turn His back on the Son, turn away from Him and abandon Him, to me does not reflect God's character. But more importantly, this is really important, the Father was never more pleased with the Son than in that moment at the cross. So why would He turn away from His Son? The cross was Jesus's ultimate act of obedience. We get this out of Philippians 2, right? In Philippians 2, it says that it says that the son gave up his life and for this reason, quote, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So the Lord was pleased with the Son in the moment. Ephesians 5, 2, it says that Christ giving himself up for us is called an offering and a sacrifice to God. Listen, a fragrant aroma. So why would God turn away from such a fragrant aroma? Uh, Third thing, and I mentioned this at Good Friday, the triune nature of the God cannot be separated. You cannot have it. Father, Son, and Spirit share one infinite, undivided, eternal nature. There can never be a break, in the trinity there can never be a separation between the persons right so they can't turn on each other they can't turn away from each other think about this for a second if if the father and son were separated even for a, a millisecond let alone 3 hours god would cease to be god because he would you'd have a break in the in the triune nature of god and so as far as i can tell all things would fall apart i mean we, the world would not be sustained right if god ceased to be god and there was a break in the trinity all all things would just collapse, would it not? So that's number three. Here's the big one, and this is the one that maybe is the most practical reason, and this is God can look upon sin. (laughs) God doesn't have to turn his face away from sin. We almost make God so fragile as we're trying to uphold his purity and his holiness, which is a good thing. We make him so fragile that sin somehow forces him to turn away. I don't think that's true. And I'll, I'll give you a couple examples in Scripture. In the book of Job, we have this story of Satan who is called up into the heavenly realms. And whether you believe it's the, uh, the you know Satan or Hasatan, a, a Satan or a demon, doesn't matter. Literally, you've got an evil being coming up, coming up into the throne room of God. And God isn't bothered by that. In fact, God addresses him and says, what have you been doing, right? It's almost a very casual, it's remarkably casual, the way that whole conversation takes place. So God's not offended by by literally having a demon and maybe Satan himself in his presence. Another example, in the garden, we have Adam and Eve sinning, what does God do? He actually comes looking for them. He doesn't turn away, he comes looking for them and actually makes a sacrifice of an animal to cover Adam and Eve. Here's a key verse that really I think answers this question. Jeremiah 16, 17 says this God speaking, for my eyes are on all their ways, speaking of of Judah. My eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, listen, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. So he sees all that sin, right? So God doesn't look away from evil. His holiness and His purity aren't affected by seeing sin. And by the way, that's really good news for us because imagine if God couldn't look upon sin, does that mean that every single day He's turning away from you and me? Does it mean that if God can't look upon sin, then the Spirit has to leave us? Which we know, that's heresy. We know that doesn't happen. Of course not. So it's good news that God doesn't have to turn His face away from sin. Here's the truth, and I mentioned this at Good Friday. Jesus was quoting from Psalm 22 on the cross when he said that. Now, Psalm 22, as we we walk through on that night, is clearly a, a foreshadowing of crucifixion. Listen to some of the statements. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults. Sounds just like the cross. All my bones are out of joint, David says. This is a Psalm of David. My mouth is dried up, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And we saw how in John's Gospel it said that Jesus said, I am thirsty. They pierce my hands and feet. Can't get more obvious than that. And then they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. So that's David crying out in distress in Psalm 22, which clearly foreshadows the crucifixion. So so when Jesus, and Jesus has multiple, multiple references to Psalm 22 while he's hanging on the cross. He's making a connection between himself and the Davidic king, right? That he's Israel's Messiah. Remember, I said this on Good Friday. Jesus always referred when speaking to his Father, always called him Father, never called him God. Now, sometimes he refers to the Father as God when he's talking to other human beings, but he always addresses God the Father as Father. And that's here in this passage, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is not how Jesus uh, uh, addresses his Father. In fact, two other times on the cross, What does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And at the end of his life, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So the fact that he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, quoting specifically and and exactly as David does in Psalm 22 1, it tells you everything, right? Jesus, for all those in that moment who have ears to hear, he's teaching from the cross, he's prophesying, he's revealing himself again and again as Israel's Messiah right to the end. So that's really important. Last thing I'll just say is the scriptures don't explicitly tell us that the Father somehow abandoned the Son on the cross. So we should be really cautious before we try to draw that implication out of the text. In fact, let me just go a step further. Psalm 22 says the opposite. David feels forsaken at the opening of the the chapter. There's no question about that. In that first verse, why have you forsaken me, Lord? He goes on to say, basically, where is my help? Why don't I hear an answer? But then, where does the psalm end up? This is key to understanding what Jesus says on the cross. At verse 19 of Psalm 22, the psalm changes. Here's what David says, But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. He's, he's calling for help. Deliver my soul from the sword. Save me from the lion's mouth. So he's, he's laying his request before the Lord. And then it says, from the horns of the wild oxen, you answer me. So David, David says, you answer me, Lord. So God hasn't turned away. And because of that, David goes on to praise Yahweh. He says, I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him, David says. Now here's the key verse, verse 24, which I think answers the whole question that we're dealing with about what did Jesus mean? Key verse. Psalm 22, 24, For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Okay, the afflicted. That's David. In this context, it's Jesus on the cross. Nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. So God hasn't turned away. Not only did the Father not turn away from the Son on the cross, he was engaged in all that was taking place on that day. In fact, consider 2 Corinthians five nineteen. It says on the cross God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God was doing that. So all persons of the Trinity are involved here. The triunity of the God is fully involved in this amazing sacrifice on the cross. So just in summary, listen, we don't want to take away Jesus is full of humanity and make him out to be a robot who didn't feel anything in this moment. We we know he felt a lot about what was going on here because we have this amazing prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, Father, if this cup can pass, let it pass, right? So we don't make him a robot. He was fully human, meaning he he felt all of it. I have no doubt that Jesus was in distress on the cross. And that's why, in all honesty, he can cry out, as David did in Psalm 22. He's really and truly suffering. Because imagine the weight of the sin of mankind being, being borne upon your shoulders, right? Now, it's possible we can say, because Calvin, you know, Calvin, smart guy, addressed this in his day. It's possible we can agree with Calvin when Calvin said that Jesus, in his humanity, he says he felt forsaken in that moment. Maybe, maybe not. That, because we don't want to we don't want to bifurcate you know Jesus' humanity and divinity. He's he's one person, right? But Calvin believes that Jesus, in his humanity, felt in that moment isolated and abandoned. But here's the thing. Here's why I even might uh, be careful now. I might quibble with Calvin. We know the Father had not abandoned him because twice in the in the in the Gospel of John, John eight twenty nine, it says Jesus says, He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And we know the cross is pleasing to the Father, so the Father hasn't left him. But even more, just recently in John chapter 16, listen to this. This is right as we're talking about the hour of the cross. Jesus says, Behold, an hour is coming, and has already come for you, disciples, to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. Listen to this now. And yet, I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. So I think that really answers it. The father never left the son, didn't turn his face away, didn't abandon him, and yet it's true, he was pleased to crush him. And so the weight of sin, Jesus became sin for us on that cross, but the triunity of God, the persons were involved in this. This was everything that they had, had, had talked about even before time began, right? In the council, the divine council, the divine will, everybody was involved. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, so I'll just wrap up with this. Does that mean we shouldn't sing this song? No, I don't think so. Because that song, first of all, is beautiful. It's filled with wonderful truth. And we can sing that line, even with a correct understanding of the theology of the cross. Understanding the true suffering of the Son and the fact that the Father, yeah, the Father was pleased to crush Him because of the results. What would come about that? That many sons and daughters would be brought to glory. But no father, no father looks and sees the suffering of his son and doesn't feel something. So I think we can sing the song. And listen, the elders will decide that if, if Grant and the other elders look at this video and they're like, yeah, maybe we should reconsider that song, then we will. But from my perspective, as I sit here today, I think it's a beautiful song. I think if we, we just think rightly about the theology of the cross, we can sing it with all integrity and enjoy worshiping the Lord. Okay, that's it for today. Guys, remain unshakable. Love each other well. I'll see you next time.